Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church. Thanks for clicking in. If we haven't met, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm so glad you are joining us this weekend. Um, I have a phrase here for you. I wonder if you ever heard of it. You should never hate anything. Do you remember hearing people say that? Maybe it was your mom or your grandma. Maybe it was a kid at school. You said, I hate this. And a kid said, you shouldn't hate anything. You know, hate's a big deal all through scripture. Uh, look at these, look at these verses. Leviticus 19:17. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Look at this from the New Testament, 1 John 2:9. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Uh, and then 1 John 3:15, everyone who hates, every single person who hates his brother or his sister is a murderer. Hate is a huge deal. It is a big deal all through scripture. And I wanna make sure we get this right today, all right? So here is a list of things that I hate that are not my brother and sister. Let me just tell them to you. Number one, I hate sin. Uh, I do. You probably thought I was going to say cats, didn't you? But it's sin. I hate sin. Uh, it, it is the worst. I mean, it is what causes us to experience pain, to be broken, to have separation from God. Our sin separates us from other people. Sin is the worst. And I want you to know, it is okay to hate sin. Uh, bad sports. I don't like bad sports. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what a bad sport is? It's soccer, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, World Cup fans out there, uh, but really, I mean it, it's golf. Golf is the worst. And, and NFL flag football for the All-Star game, talk about terrible sports. I'm not into it. You know what else I hate? I hate the hiccups. I have an irrational anger when it comes to the hiccups. I, I wanna stop, I need to stop, I hold my breath. I get so frustrated and angry. Uh, here's something else that's unreasonable that I I hate uh, bending over. I hate bending over. My wife says, you don't get bending over because everybody hates bending over. Honestly, if I dropped my wallet, I would have to sit and think, there's no cash in my wallet. I bet I could cancel all those credit cards. I might just leave. If it's in my house, I'm definitely walking away from it. Maybe my kid will pick it up and set it on a table. Uh, bad drivers. I don't know anybody who likes bad drivers, but it just spins me out. I hate bad drivers. You know what? When you're at a stoplight and the light turns green, you should be able to get at least 30 cars through that green light. And anybody who slows you down, they should go to jail. That's all I know. Bad drivers are the way. You know, let's extend the bad drivers. Parking, bad parking is the worst. Nothing is more frustrating than getting to where you wanna go and the best spot looks like it's open except the person who is parked right beside there has actually taken both spots. You know what I'm talking about? It happens uh, at the mall, it happens at the grocery store, it happens at church. You guys gotta stop this, it drives me nuts. Uh, and the last thing on my list of seven things I hate Cats, nailed it. Cats are the worst. And I have people come up to me all the time and they say, you know what, Brandon, you shouldn't uh, uh, be so hard on cats. I'm like, I'm just a dog person. You know, it's okay that I'm a dog. Actually, I'm allergic to cats and I'm a dog person and people who love cats, you know what they usually say? Dogs, they're so dumb and they're filthy. I can leave my cat in our house for days and days and days. I don't even have to care for it. I'm like, why do you want a pet that you don't have to care for? And why is it so miserable to have this dumb, big, furry, lumpy, warm, best friend who loves you unconditionally? You know what I know about cats? 
they think they're better than me. Now, no cat has ever said that, but I'm telling you, every time a cat has looked at me, uh, they've communicated, I'm better than you. I think I'm better than you. And that's just a fact for every single cat. And by the way, if your goal is to own an animal that you do not need to take care of, that you can just uh, leave for days on end, buy a Roomba because a Roomba will help you in life. Cats, I just can't imagine it, all right? Uh, it is so easy. It is so easy to create a list of things that we hate, things that we dislike, things that we disagree with. Uh, and if you and I would sit down and compile a list of things that we hate, I'm telling you that list would be way too long. It would actually be filled with things that we probably shouldn't hate. Some of the things that I just mentioned shouldn't be on a list of things I hate. And you know, I'm just messing with you. But, but our lists, they, they, they com they're comprised of just so many, so many things. And hate is a big deal through Scripture. Uh, the word hate, the idea of hate, it, it appears in Scripture almost 200 times times. That is so many times. In Proverbs 6, where we are today, uh, if you have your Bible or your Proverbs journal or your YouVersion Bible app, why don't you uh, flip there or click there. Proverbs chapter 6, it has its own list of things that God hates. And this list is clear, it is simple, and it is practical. Uh, Solomon, he, he begins by describing a very specific type of person. Uh, and when I look at this person, I'm telling you, uh, it's, it's sort of like a list of seven habits of a highly ineffective person. That's the name of our message today. These seven like character traits, uh, they are so incredibly offensive to God. They're so offensive that if you see them in you or you see them in somebody else, uh, they should uh, set off flags and you should hear alarm bells in your head and it's time to get out or get right, okay? Let's, uh, let's look at verse 12, Proverbs 6, verse 12. Uh, a worthless person, a wicked man goes around speaking dishonestly. This is how Solomon introduces this new section in chapter 6. Uh, he, he says he's worthless, he's wicked. Now this is a generic person. He's just having a conversation with this kid and he's talking about character. Um, you know, in reading this description that we're about to read, it, it's actually kind of silly. Like you'll see what I mean in a minute, but it's also creepy at the same time. You know, the, the Hebrew word for worthless is used 27 times in the Old Testament to describe a person who is wicked, who is perverse, who is a liability to themselves and everybody around them, and you should not go near them. This worthless person is dishonest, they're scheming, and let's read on, you'll see what I mean. He winks his eye. Weird, he's signaling with his feet, gesturing with his fingers. He, he always plots evil with uh, perversity in his heart and stirs up trouble. Therefore, calamity will strike him suddenly, like out of nowhere, and he will be uh, shattered instantly beyond recovery. This is, this is huge. You know, have you, uh, have you ever like winked at someone and then you like immediately regretted it. Like, uh, you know, it was an innocent wink and then you were like, oh, that was weird. Like if you're, even if you are an innocent winker, here's my best advice, stop, don't do it. Uh, winking is not always bad, but winking is always weird. It's always weird. And here in the text, like winking is one of these signals. Now, if you're a winker, it doesn't mean you're evil, but an evil person will often use subtle things to get your attention or to kind of alert people to his plot or that he's thinking and planning and plotting. 
you know, he's hinting towards evil behavior or he's inviting others to join into what he knows he shouldn't do. And, and I'm telling you, they are oddly subtle. All of the things that are describing what's going on with this person, they're subtle. And you couldn't really prove what he, like if you think he's doing bad things and you're like, oh, he winked at me, he's gonna be like, what is that? Stop. But these are all sort of like gestures of somebody who is, is scheming. And calamity, because he's scheming and because he's heading towards what is evil, calamity is going to strike him suddenly. He's not going to recognize it. He's not going to see it. He's not going to know it. Uh, and the consequences for our behavior and our motives are, you know, at risk here. Uh, ultimately, the day each and every one of us leave this earth, whether Jesus meets us up in the sky or uh, our, our life is, is over, when we meet God and Jesus face to face, uh, what this says is uh, it's going to happen. You're not really going to be ready for it. And once we leave this earth, it's unrecoverable. Like right now, there's still time for people to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His grace and mercy is active and alive. But once we leave this life, there is no recovering. There is no going back. In Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus is talking about people who are following him and about those who are not following him. And here, here's what he says. He says, they will go away uh, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Once we leave this earth, there's no turning back. There's no recovering. This evil person, basically Solomon is saying he is on a trajectory for eternal separation, harm, death. It is, it is bad, bad news what he's saying. You know, without Jesus, calamity is gonna strike and it's unrecoverable. Solomon doesn't want his son to follow in these footsteps, the footsteps of an evil man in the direction that he's going. It's, it's, it's clearly defined here by all of these weird, creepy things, and ultimately you're gonna see that God hates this behavior uh, and hates what's about to happen. Uh, look at verses 16 through 19. We start off by this. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. This is a, is a common thing we see in Proverbs. It's like a numerical saying, like six and seven, or you know, there's three and four. It's, it's made for emphasis, but it also might mean that, you know what, this isn't an exhaustive list. Like these are seven things that God certainly hates. But ultimately, God hates all sins. He's not writing down every sin there ever is. He's just putting these seven down so you and I get a picture. Let's see what these seven things are. Arrogant eyes and a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among believers. The point is that God sees and hates what he sees when it comes to sin. Uh, this is all sin, pouring, pouring out unprotected, uh, pouring out of an unprotected heart. That's what's happening here. Bottom line, God hates sin. These three verses, they're, they're not a list of rules, they're a list of facts that contribute to somebody's destruction. These seven habits of a highly ineffective person are things that uh, people use maybe to get ahead in life. They're trying to look for shortcuts. They're, they're scheming. And, and I'm telling you every time, sometime, every time within the, the journey, it breaks relationships. Ultimately, uh, the person who is scheming loses in the end. Let's go through each uh, of these seven. Uh, the first is arrogant eyes. 
you know, arrogant eyes, haughty eyes, some uh, versions say. Somebody who has arrogant eyes, they're full of pride. And they often look down on other people uh, and, you know, they have an exaggerated sense of their own importance, their own abilities. They think they're so great that nobody else can do what they do. And, and pride, uh, pride often falls into this bin of acceptable sins. You know, like you might see people who are high on themselves and people kind of applaud them and pat them on the back for being so great. And we, we actually feed the ego sometimes of people who are prideful. But arrogance and pride are never acceptable. You know, it's devastating. Pride is dividing. You know, arrogance, it thinks things like, I matter and you don't. I'm beautiful and you're plain. Uh, I'm handsome, you're average. I'm thin, you're chubby. I'm spiritual, you're worldly. I'm young, you're almost 40. Yeah, a kid said that to me. I wanted to grab, I wanted to lay hands on him and pray for him, if you know what I mean. Uh, look, at, look at James chapter four, verse six. God resists the proud. He's like, I don't want anything to do with them. And he gives grace to the humble. God loves humility. He, he finds humility and, and the followers of God find favor in humility. And look, look at what we read in Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. There are consequences for the pride that's in our lives. There's certainly consequences for the pride uh, in other people's lives. You know, pride says it's all about me. Humility says I, I want to work with you. Uh, you know, pride creates division. Humility creates unity. Pride uh, takes what it can get. Humility gives what it can. Pride causes us to compare. And, and our comparisons, I got to tell you, you know this, they're always biased. They always somehow lean in our favor. And when we uh, compare our thing to somebody else's thing, we have this twisted way of putting ourselves on top. And when you and I are on top, it is so easy to look down on people. People don't measure up when we put ourselves up high. God hates arrogance. He, he hates pride. The best thing that you and I can do uh, is, is produce uh, something inadequate. And then we compare like our inadequate offering to somebody else's inadequate offering. God's like, you're, you're all inadequate compared to what I provide. So do your best, provide the best you can and stop looking at other people with haughty eyes or with prideful eyes. Uh, look at the next one, a lying tongue. I mean, I don't know anybody who loves a liar. Like liars, they just seem like they're the worst. God, God hates lies. Don't be a liar and do not hang out with habitual liars. Steer clear of them. Lying, it's a character flaw. If your words don't mean anything, you don't mean anything. If your words are empty, that kind of means that you're useless. Actually, Solomon says you're worthless. It's a dark place to be. Solomon literally says this type of person is worthless. Lying is evil. In fact, lying is Satan's native tongue. It's his natural language. Look at this from John chapter eight, verse 44. You, you know, Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders that are pushing back against his ministry. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own native tongue. He speaks his own native language because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. So when you and I lie, 
it's, it's like we're choosing to identify with our enemy. We're choosing to identify with the devil. God hates lies. You know, we taught our kids from a young age, lying is the worst thing you can do. I'm telling you boys, this is me having a conversation with my kids. If there's anything that you do for the rest of your life, tell the truth. Tell the truth to your mom, tell the truth to me because if you don't tell the truth, you break trust and when you break trust, we just can't do life together easily. It's, it's so much harder, it's so much more difficult and, and can trust be rebuilt? Absolutely, but it is hard. Uh, I heard a pastor once share a story of him talking to his son about lying and they're driving down the road and he says to his son, son, we have one rule in our family, don't lie, never lie. There is nothing worse than lying. And he keeps driving down the road and his kid's silent in the back and he's, he's feeling pretty good. What an achievement. I, you know, my kid's processing and thinking and, and uh, it's a win in the dad column. And after driving down the road a little ways, he said his son kind of piped up, dad? He's like, yeah, son. He said, I, th I, I think I thought of something that's worse than lying. He's like, what's worse than lying? He said, worshiping the devil? <laughs> and that dad said, now we have two rules in the house. No worshiping the devil and no lying. Lying is the worst. Lying, it, it puts a crack in relationships. It keeps people from uh, trusting each other. It's hard to regain trust. You can do it, but it is so difficult. The first sin when you read your Bible, if you start at page one, the first sin in scripture, it involved a lie. It was lies and false accusations that took Jesus to the cross. And lying, it just, it just kills your reputation. It crushes your character. The third habit of a highly ineffective person, hands that shed innocent blood. Uh, you know, that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, uh, none of us are, you know, looking to, to take a life. Uh, you know, don't grow up to be a serial killer. It's that easy, right? I mean, it's easy for most of us. But there are so many innocent lives taken every single day. Whether, whether it's uh, random, unnecessary shootings, uh, careless accidents, uh, things like texting and driving. When we take a life because of our foolishness, not just our intentionality, but foolishness, God hates that. That's the shedding of innocent blood. You know, and it goes deeper than just the physical act. Solomon is not only describing careless behavior and, and violent behavior, he, he's, he's also implying that we should have self-control over our thoughts and our anger. You know, God never wants us to sacrifice his standard for our own wants and desires. And we see Jesus pushing back against uh, the many needless rules and laws of the Pharisees. And what we see Jesus doing while he pushes back on those laws, he's never lowering God's standard. He's always clarifying the standard. He might simplify it, but he's always like raising up what God has put in place for us. He raises the bar so that we are forced to look at our hearts. Look at this from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it is said that our ancestors do not murder, uh, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying the things that go on in our head are just as evil and they're just as sinful as actual murder. Now, are the consequences different? Absolutely. Are they both terrible and sinful? Yeah, we shouldn't have unrighteous anger. We shouldn't hate our brothers and sisters in Christ or in our family. 
reconciliation. We want to reconcile. Remember, Solomon, he's writing uh, all of this on the heels of telling his son to take all of the wisdom you can and take all of the understanding you can and put it in your heart and then guard your heart. Solomon is not just talking about actions. He's talking about attitudes. He's, he's pointing to what's happening in our heart, in our head when we're thinking and feeling things. All of this matters. You know, we're going to look at these last four habits of a highly ineffective person in groups of two. Let's look at these, uh, a heart that plots wicked schemes and feet eager to run toward evil. They're eager to run toward those plotted schemes. You know, we all know people who are looking for the easy way out. Maybe uh, they're fudging the numbers on something they're doing at work. Maybe they're cheating on their taxes. Uh, maybe they're cheating on a test or an exam. They're copying homework. You know, maybe they're buying a term paper. Or maybe you've heard that kids are using like artificial intelligence to actually write all their homework, doing all their homework. Like these are shortcuts that are not good and godly. Maybe some of us aren't paying the bills we agreed to pay or we're stealing. We're stealing from work or the store or somebody's house. Like some, some of us would never do that, right? The truth is you might. If, if your character is frail and you're pressed hard enough, we might break. Anyone who's willing to sacrifice God's standards for their own happiness would do something like that with, without even processing or thinking about it. You remember the movie Home Alone? You've probably heard of it. I almost guarantee that you've seen it, right? And, and by the way, Home Alone 1 and 2, it's one of those few franchises where people argue which is better, Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2. I, you know, I don't think I have a preference. Uh, but you remember the story, right? It's uh, this uh, wealthy neighborhood and these criminals who know that these uh, people are going on vacation and they're going to rob these houses. And Kevin McAllister, he's left home alone and he devises all of these smart tricks to capture these crooks and criminals. Actually, uh, that's not a true story, but it's not too far from a true story that I found from New Jersey and Kentucky. But this isn't fiction. Uh, these are people who were plotting. They're, they're scheming thieves who have been robbing people's homes, grieving people's homes. What they would do is they would look in the newspaper, they would find obituaries, and then they would cross-reference with uh, you know, Google to find addresses. And when they knew the viewings or the funerals were happening, they would go into these homes and, and they would rob these grieving people. Talk about evil. Talk about evil upon grieving. Like that's, that's plotting in, in one of the worst kind of ways, taking advantage of the weak and the, the helpless. All of that started in their heart. It started in the heart and it's pure evil. God hates this. God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes and feet that actively run towards that which is evil. Look at these last two. A lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. God hates a lying witness. Uh, God hates somebody who gives false testimony. And I'm not just talking about in court, right? False testimony, you might think court, right? Well, that's, that's still lying, but more specifically here, he's talking about testimony of the King of Kings. He's talking about testimony of the Creator. Uh, he's talking about giving testimony of God the Father. This should hit Christians in a very different way. You know, Jesus is the living testimony of God and God's gift of salvation. You know, we exist, you and I exist 
uh, to worship God and to expand the kingdom of God. And we can't expand his kingdom if we're giving false testimony, if we're not telling people what's true about God and we're not living out what's true and right about God. People aren't gonna come and join. People aren't gonna be a part of this kingdom because they're gonna think that we're evil and we're hypocrites. You know, false testimony is actually the opposite of who Jesus is. You know, our renewed, redeemed lives are a living testimony of who God is and, and what Jesus has done in us and through us. You know, this is the person who stirs up trouble. They love deception. They take, they take joy and accusations and slander and gossip. You, we all know somebody who loves gossiping, right? You know a gossiper. Let's shout out their name on the count of three. One, two. Okay, we're not going to do that because that would kind of be gossip, wouldn't it? But we know that person. We've been around that person. Maybe, maybe you are that person. You know, and some people gossip so well, you don't even know it's happening until it's too late. It's like, oh, I can't believe. I wish I didn't hear that. Uh, sometimes it comes up casually. Other times it comes up as a prayer request. Like, that's terrible. Stop doing that. And by the way, if somebody is willing to gossip with you, they're willing to gossip about you. You gotta be careful, that's a fool. Uh, you know, the one who stirs up trouble among brothers, like that's turning people who are following Jesus against each other. Uh, people who should be in this tight-knit, unified community. God does not like division, he's all about unity. The one who stirs up trouble, this is a problem. But the opposite of a troublemaker, do you know what the opposite of a troublemaker is? It's a peacemaker, blessed, are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This verse is a part of a stream of verses, uh, eight character traits of people who are followers of Jesus. Matthew chapter five, if you want some devotional reading, go grab your Bible and read that later this week. Uh, each and every one of those eight characteristics, uh, they kind of rock and they shock because of how incredibly clear and, and profound they are. Um, but let's not be troublemakers. Let's be peacemakers. Sons and daughters of God are all about being peacemakers. The enemy wants us divided, but God wants us united. So we bring peace. We fight for peace. Look at Romans 12. I love this verse. If possible, like follow me here, all right? Because like this is within your power and ability. If possible, anytime it's possible. Whenever there's margin within your ability, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Friends, do not uh, avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. As far as it depends on you and me, we should be living at peace with people. If there's trouble, it shouldn't be because we refuse to reconcile. It shouldn't be because we refuse to forgive. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. But Brandon, you don't really understand what happened in my life. I get it. As far as it depends on you, fight for peace. You know, I know some of you are like, I hate conflict. I don't want you to love conflict, but I want you to fight for peace. Some of you say, I prefer to ignore my problems. I say, don't. Get in there and fight for peace. But Brandon, you don't know what they said to my kid. Listen, I'm not telling you to not deal with it. 
We certainly should deal with it, but deal with it in a way that reflects the character of Christ. Don't, don't storm in stirring up trouble. Fight for peace. Wouldn't it be great if the way that you handle that was so profound, people are like, that was amazing. Why was that, why was that, why was that good? Give people a chance to say, because that person's following Jesus and they're fighting for peace. You know, you and I, we, we can't control what other people can do. We can only control what we do, right? And as far as it depends on you, God is calling you and me to fight for peace. And I'll tell you, how do you fight for peace? Uh, you don't repay evil with evil and you, you love without hypocrisy. Don't be two-faced. Don't pretend to be a Christian, but yet live like Solomon is saying, we shouldn't live. You know, it's pretty easy to look at these seven things and just go, of course, these things are wrong. Of course, they're bad character traits. Uh, uh, none of these things are things that I value in my life, and they're not things that I'm looking for in a close friend. But remember, Solomon says these things can be sneaky. They can sneak up on you. Uh, you know, Solomon says that a wicked person's actions are not always obvious or in your face. You know, he's, he's scheming, he's winking, he's slightly gesturing. His feet are pointed in a different direction than he's saying. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of often deniable. You know, I think today we call it gaslighting when you can clearly tell somebody is doing something. You call them out and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's nearly impossible to prove what somebody is thinking or what they're desiring. You know, the wicked, worthless person that's mentioned here simply loves to spread false accusations. And in Solomon, he writes uh, just a few chapters before in Proverbs 4 that this person simply will not be happy until you are unhappy. Bring, we'll bring that back up. For they just can't sleep. The evil person, the wicked person, they can't sleep unless they have done what is evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Solomon says that there's no rest for the wicked. A, a worthless, evil person finds rest and satisfaction in harming others and bringing others down into their mess. So if you're, you're writing uh, any notes today, I, I have a couple thoughts for us as we, as we wrap up. Uh, number one, here's what we gotta do. We gotta run from a fool, not run with a fool. Uh, the people we're running with, our crowd, our closest friends, they can't be fools. We, we got to run from them, run away from them, not, not with them. Solomon, you know, he's describing a fool in Proverbs 6. And when you see evil, when you see foolish behavior, when you recognize somebody is a fool, Solomon's like, get out, get out, run away, stay away. Do not risk you to be near that person. You know, he, he says something very interesting a few chapters later. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13. I love this verse. There, this, is, this is great wisdom. Uh, Solomon writes, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Isn't that interesting? You would think that uh, it would say something like, uh, walk with wise people, become wise. Walk with foolish people, become foolish. But it's not. Like, wisdom it, it rubs off on those who are closest to us. But foolishness, I mean, it probably rubs off, but Solomon doesn't say that. He says, actually, if you hang out with a fool, you're in danger. It's not that his foolishness is rubbing off on you as much as the situation this fool will put you in will oftentimes end up 
harming you. Maybe not physically, maybe your character, you know, maybe your, your image, but harm is bound to happen when you're hanging out with a fool. A fool chases after whatever they want at the expense of everyone around them. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. I love this. The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. He's just repeating what Solomon said. It's like, you want to be wise? Start hanging out with people who have wisdom. Uh, and maybe that's a grandparent. Maybe that's your parent. Maybe that's a, a mentor. Somebody who has uh, been following Jesus a little longer than you that's sold out to your spiritual success. How do you get time with people like that? How do you pick up books from people who just ooze wisdom. And it's right there at your fingertips for you to grab. The wicked person recklessly lives for their own pleasure, but the follower of Christ exists to make a deep impact on the world. And a, a deep impact can be made if we were just known for what we are for. And I've heard this phrase, you know, far too many Christians are known for what they're against, but we wanna be known for what we are for. Uh, when you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, that list, when you read your Bible, you can just start highlighting things and create a list. It would be so incredibly long. It would be filled with so many things. Let me just throw a few things out at you, right? Because following Jesus, it involves in imitating his actions, but, but also living out his teaching. And what we see is, is how you and I, we should be serving others and forgiving others and praying continually and practicing compassion, sharing the good news, being mercy, being grace, uh, being humble, practicing self-control, doing to others what we want them to do to us, trusting in God's plan, being kind, following God's commands. And Matthew 5, that list of eight character traits. It's so wonderful. It's the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Get in your Bible and look at those eight character traits because they are transformational. You know, this list could go on and on and on and on, but, but Jesus, he, he actually simplifies the list for us and he clarifies. It's not that those things aren't needed, but he says, if you do a few of these things, like your life is gonna kind of like start heading in a very specific direction. And these things will become more natural to you. Jesus expresses uh, that when we follow him, that we should follow him in a specific way. And he explains it so simply that a child can understand. And yet at the same time, it's so complex that the smartest leaders in that first century, it just, it just spun them out. Here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. Love the Lord your God. What are the two most important things? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Guard your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Everything that is inside of you, everything that is outside of you, love God with everything that you have. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. He says, love God and love others. There's nothing greater than this. And just the, uh, in the Gospel of John, he says the same thing, but it's kind of a different thing. But here's what he says. I give uh, you a new command. He's talking to his disciples. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I hope you picked that out. If you didn't, let me, just, let me just share with you. Love God, love outsiders, and love insiders. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love those who are not yet following Jesus. And with everything that you have, internal and external, love God. Love God with everything, every single thing. Jesus wants his people to be known for what they love, 
but he doesn't want his people to be known for loving things that he hates. So when somebody says to you, you shouldn't hate, there's some truth to that. But there are things, there are some clear things that we should hate, that we should separate ourselves from. You know, the word hate, it sounds harsh, but, but Solomon says these seven things are absolutely worth hating. You know, and we could, we could sum all of these seven things up by just saying, God hates sin. Everything that is sin, God hates it. God hates it so much that he sent his son to die. God hates sin so much that he sent Jesus to be a sacrifice, to provide reconciliation because you and I, we are born sinners and we are gonna sin until the day we die, but there is no rescue, there is no redemption, there is no freedom from sin without the person of Jesus. That's, don't miss this, that's how much God hates sin. He hates sin so much that he sent his son to pay the price so that sin could be defeated and eradicated. I can't think of a single thing that would bring any measure of harm to any of my boys that I would allow them to do. And yet God says, I hate sin so much that I'm gonna send my son to pay the price. That if you and I, if we would humble ourselves and we would accept the gift of salvation through the person of Jesus, that he says, I'm arms wide open, ready to pay the debt that you owe. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. And I would say this, this passage in Proverbs chapter six, it shows us how much God hates sin, but because of what he did by sending his son Jesus, it also shows us how much he absolutely loves you and me. Hey, let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the gift of your word and encouragement. Thank you for uh, you know, this story from Solomon. We don't have to compare ourselves to a real person, but as he's sharing this story with his son, we get to see these character traits that are breaking relationships, that are hurting us, and that are pulling us away from you. So God, sharpen us, grow us, stay away from the path of wicked, help us walk on paths of righteousness, all for your glory. Thanks for today, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen and amen. Love you guys. See you next week.